Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is a special episode, uh, number 64. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And we are devoting our entire podcast today to Star Trek Into Darkness, which is special for us because it's the first time, believe it or not, and we've been doing this podcast for years, uh, but this is the first time new Trek has been produced uh, during our podcast. So uh, you guys asked for it, and you're getting an entire podcast today devoted Into Darkness, and it's uh, on a weekly basis instead of the normal bi-weekly. So we're excited to do it. We are also very excited to bring on our super special guest, Trey Murphy. Hello, Trey. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, now, Trey is obviously, of course, a Star Trek fan, uh, but he's not nutty, nutty, nutty Star Trek like we are. But that is perfect because Trey is a nutty, nutty, nutty movie fan. So <laughs> Trey is going to give us both a Star Trek fan's point of view, but also the all-important... Uh, is this a good movie <laughs> question, which is hard for us to be. We're obviously pretty biased about. So anyway, without further ado, let's get started. Star Trek Into Darkness, U.S. release date, May 17th, 2013. Directed by J.J. Abrams, written by Roberto Orzi, Alex Kurtzman, and Damon Lindelof, and music by Michael Giacchino. Primary cast include Chris Pine as James Kirk, Zachary Quinto as Spock, Zoe Saldana as Uhura, Carl Urban as Bones McCoy, Simon Pegg as Scotty, John Cho as Sulu, Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan, Anton Yelchin as Chekhov, Bruce Greenwood as Christopher Pike, Peter Weller as Admiral Marcus, and Alice Eve as Carol Marcus. The crew of the Starship Enterprise return to the big screen with jaw-dropping action and hard-hitting villains. Kirk and company must deal with a new one-man terror threat from within Starfleet. And to catch him, they will have to go deep into Klingon space. All the while, each member of the Enterprise crew is adjusting to their new responsibility as Starfleet officers and members of a new family. Let me explain what's happening here. You are a criminal. I watched you murder innocent men and women. I was authorized to end you. And the only reason why you are still alive is because I am allowing it. So shut your mouth. Captain, you're going to punch me again over and over till your arm weakens. Clearly you want to, so tell me. Why did you allow me to live? We all make mistakes. No. I surrender to you because despite your attempt to convince me otherwise, you seem to have a conscience, Mr. Kirk. If you did not, then it would be impossible for me to convince you of the truth. Two, three, one, seven, four, six, one, one. Coordinates not far from Earth. If you want to know why I did what I did, go and take a look. Give me one reason why I should listen to you. I can give you 72. And they're on board your ship, Captain. They have been all along. Nice there. Uh, what did you say at the beginning of your uh, synopsis there, Caesar? Uh, Jaw-dropping uh, action. Jaw-dropping action. Now, that is a very good way to describe this movie, that's for sure. Whether you, <laughs> whether you like it or hate it, I'll tell you right off the bat. I'm going to start with this. Okay, I, I was expecting it, and I got it. 
the biggest production value in the history of Star Trek. This movie, production value, was absolutely, to me, it was on par with Star Wars. It was on par with the biggest of all ever for Star Trek. We've never seen this level of production value. They've never had this much money. They've never been able to make it make the universe look and feel so completely real. Every single shot, I swear. Um, especially the stuff the stuff on Earth because you know, you know, it's one thing to have ships in space that's all CG. Um, there's a lot they can do with that. Uh, but when you start shooting live action people in big cityscapes and stuff, so you've got the opening sections, and then of course you've got the closing section, including the the chase. Oh, it goes without saying, this sucker is going to be full of spoilers, folks. We're assuming you've seen the movie. Stop listening to this now if you haven't watched it yet. Um, but you know, including the big chase at the end, uh, that was so exciting for me to to get to see this level of production value in Star Trek and and I was I've seen it several times now and let me tell you I did not take that for granted any time I watched it <laughs> You guys have any thoughts about that? <laughs> uh I concur. I, I, yeah. I, I can't disagree. I I would say yeah, it's um even faster paced than the um first film. Yeah, um, to be honest, I mean, yeah, it's as fast as pace as any superhero movie you'll see. I mean, yeah, it's it's. Does it feel bigger than? Yeah, that's another thing. Fair thing, I think, for us to compare consistently is, you know, we can compare this to JJ's first film, which is now four years old, two thousand nine. Um, it, it's fair for us to compare the two movies. Did this movie feel bigger? Did it feel like it had more production value? Did it feel bigger than uh, the previous one? Um, the style's the same. Yeah, I probably would have had to watch the other one right before it. I thought about doing that, but I didn't get around to it. Um, yeah, I would say very similar in that regard. I would have trouble saying one. I, if anything, I'd say the production value of this one more than more than that one. If anything, yes. Um. Well, yeah, because well, what you mentioned before, Brian. I mean, you know, there's a lot of shots on Earth. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever we've ever seen this much Earth in any kind of Star Trek story. Um, you know. Especially a movie, maybe four, but I mean, you know, they didn't even didn't yeah, really, that doesn't count. They didn't really even show. Yeah, it was 1980s, <laughs> San Francisco. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to see and look at and um, take in in this movie as far as like um visual, visually. Um, Trey, for sure. D- did the scope seem bigger than the first one to you? Did it seem uh, the same? It you know what it, it it felt like a bigger movie and I think I, I like uh you know we were saying earlier I, it's been a while since I've actually watched Abrams' first film but um, this one yeah it did feel bigger and I think a big part of that is the immersive 3D that they actually had with it it wasn't it it wasn't uh, you know jump out at you gimmicky it actually felt immersive and I I really appreciated that. I'll admit straight up that I didn't see it in 3D because I knew it was converted, so I didn't mess with it. But yeah, yeah. So let's spend a few minutes. This is this is one nice thing. <laughs> Usually, I've got a running clock for us, and we're discussing, you know, an episode because we're getting in three episodes. But here, it's like, hey, we, we, let's talk about whatever we want to talk about. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, yeah, let's start uh, with the effects and so. The, well, let's start with them um, because you bring up the 3D here. Uh, let's start with some technical stuff. So. Yes, uh, the movie was shot in 2D, post-converted to 3D. Now, one plus side to some post-conversion is that they at least planned for it, right? So they shot for it, so supposedly that means they do some things differently on the set, but they're still just shooting 
uh, 2D. Or yeah, they're still just shooting 2D and then post-converting. Um, but they did shoot a significant portion of the film in IMAX. Um, now this is going to be. I'm not going to have a lot of complaints today, I don't think. But this is going to my one of my biggest complaints is going to be that they shot so much of it in IMAX, but at least around here and everywhere I looked up, I can only find it screen IMAX in 3D. Like I, there is no IMAX 2D, um, and unfortunately, there's because they if once they post convert, that means they have to bring it in to the computer, right? So yeah, I shouldn't. I'm going to try not to get too boring and technical here, but basically. Once they're messing with the image so much, it starts to kind of lose that insane nutty resolution that IMAX has. So a big technical disappointment for me was, as opposed to, say, seeing the Chris Nolan Batman movies, I mean, the last two, uh, where when it would cut to, when you're in the IMAX, and I'm talking about true IMAX, the six-story square, not the fake large format screens, the real IMAX screens, when it would cut to those IMAX shots in the Batman movies, you would be like, or even uh, Mission Impossible 4, produced by Abrams, where they shot some stuff on IMAX, like the playing outside the building. When it would cut to those IMAX shots, it was breathtaking. It was like being slapped in the face and thinking, my God, this is the most beautiful image I've ever seen, right? And unfortunately, that didn't happen here because of the post-converted 3D, which I didn't think looked very good, especially on IMAX. Now, maybe... I saw it a couple times IMAX 3D, and then I saw it a couple times just regular old 2D uh, DCP. Um, and I wonder if if the 3D outside of that venue, outside of the IMAX venue, would have been stronger. Um, but I was very disappointed that the IMAX. I mean, they still look nicer than the rest of the movie. You can still kind of tell which shots were IMAX, but it wasn't that that blow you away that I kind of expected to have. Um, I know people probably aren't super interested in me talking about that for uh, at Infinitum, so I'll I'll leave it at that. And if you guys want to say anything about it, you can. But I I was upset that um, I was disappointed uh, that the IMAX stuff wasn't given its own uh, chance. If there if there was a 2D IMAX, I would have paid again to see it that way. Well, long story short, they're still fiddling with all that. You know what they kind of want to decide as a standard. I mean, you get the 48 frames per second thing going on with the Hobbit series, and then. You know, I think what this was the first one that shot IMAX. Yeah, and not, then post converted, but, but, but yeah, portions were shot on IMAX. Yeah, but yeah, this is the first time they've post converted IMAX images on a, in a movie, I believe. Oh, okay. So that's the first for um for the industry that Star Trek well, did. Trey, you said um, you really liked the 3D. Did you see the uh, crosstalk? You know, like for me, seeing it IMAX 3D. Which I think is what you saw, right? Uh, I saw a lot of that crosstalk, you know. So there was like ghosting over the images from where the um, convergence didn't meet up perfectly, which is I'm partially a cause of um, from uh, the a symptom from bad uh, post conversion. No, honestly, I, I, I honestly didn't notice. Okay, maybe it was just the venue. I saw it in the same screen twice, so maybe it oh, was. I, oh, I, I noticed it, Brian. I know what you're yeah? talking about. Yeah, just the little ghost. Yeah, I mean. It's it was like split second, but yeah, you can. But I mean, it's not. It's not like it's going to ruin it for you. You might not even notice it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, I, after I saw it a couple times that way, then I saw it uh, 2D um, DCP, and I, 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 I enjoyed the image a lot more. Like it, there weren't those those that crosstalk distraction wasn't there. That said, hey, I've already pre-ordered my Blu-ray 3D from Amazon. <laughs> you know, I'll watch it. I'll watch it at home in 3D and see if it's. See how I like that. Um, 
but good, you know, and, and Trey, you're not the only, I've, I've heard a couple of other people, it's, it's been both sides, I've read a couple of reviews where people are like, oh my god, stay away from the 3D, but then a couple people, like Trey, uh, said it was great. Uh, Mark Altman, we all love, all Star, Star Trek nuts just love Mark Altman, he loved the 3D. Um, he thought it was great, so um, he thought he thought it specifically really helped immerse you in the movie. So, you know, maybe the vote's kind of going to be out on that one for a while. This is the first Star <clears throat> Trek anything we've had, really. Yeah, it didn't. It doesn't sound like it bothered me as much as it bothered you, Brian. I mean, it looked pretty good. It wasn't like um, probably like the best 3D is the the 3D you don't notice. You're you're immersed in it and you don't notice it. I mean, occasionally it's going to pop up or you notice you're watching 3D movie but yeah so i think it was good and like it wasn't like there wasn't a bunch of tricks and stunts you know so the 3d is not is not it's not going to ruin the movie for you uh did anybody else am i anybody else see it more than once or is that just me sounds like it was just you okay um well you know normally i see like a new star trek movie i've all the other ones i've seen five times on opening weekend but uh, this one, I actually did not. I only saw it three times over the weekend. Um, but we'll get to the, kind of the reasons why I think I ended up doing that. Uh, let's kind of go through, just kind of go through the movie. Um, so it opened on uh, Nibiru, which uh, most of that we saw. Did anybody else see the like 10 minute or 12 minute preview they had back at the Hobbit? In the, yeah, the I saw Hobbit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Did they change? Did they change it? it? It's in my memory. It seemed like it was intercut between the Nibiru stuff and um, the stuff in New London, or not New London, but London. Was that wrong in my head? No, it wasn't. Um, Seems like I can't, it's positive. I mean, it's. I mean, it seemed like um, they, they might have recut it. I a think you're bit. right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Hmm. Um. There okay. might be a so bit let's more let's talk briefly about this. Yeah. So the opening section, and most a lot of that stuff. If you if you hadn't seen it ahead of the Hobbit, you probably got a lot of it from the trailer. Uh, <laughs> you know, hearing um, uh, Scotty say, "Do you know how ridiculous it is to hide a starship at the bottom of the ocean?" That's one of those lines we make jokes about on this podcast, where we say, "That's the line I ask the the screen, right?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it looks cool, and that's and we've you know I I always say nice things about. I'm always telling my wife one thing I love when I see a movie is if they if they have a scene that I've never seen before. If they do something that I've never cuz you know, most of the time even the best movies it's all been done, right? But if you have a scene, if you show me something I've never seen before, that'll get my attention. You know, and so I tend to forgive some of these some of the things that um nitpicker truckers and trekkies might bring up. Uh if if it's cool or if it if it's fun and exciting or different or whatever, I'm not that picky about it. All due respect to people who are, more power to you, but that's not how I am. So, you know, the Enterprise at the bottom of the ocean did not bother me. Um, uh, but they do end up asking uh, um, some interesting kind of questions about the Prime Directive. But the whole opening is, you know, it's 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 much like all the rest of the movie where it's it's just it just moves nonstop. You know, the first time we see some of these characters, they are literally running. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and then the whole movie kind of feels like that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of cool like visual stuff. I love that shot of um, the deflector dish as it's kind of right after after it's as it's coming out of the ocean, and we see like the Nibiru people and the trees or something, and you can see the bright blue light from the the deflector dish just kind of 
passing up between them. You know, that's what I'm talking about. It's like yeah, it's huge. A, it's a it's a beautiful scene, Brian. Yeah, anytime they can do um, something cool with the Enterprise that they haven't done before, it's um, it's a bonus. It's it's well, it's it's great. It's a great, fantastic visual scene, and you know, um, seeing a starship, um, actually. Um, involved with the planet, whether flying through the clouds or in the ocean, this isn't something we've really seen in Star Trek. So it's kind of a territory untapped. So yeah, yeah you I think thought about it was- uh, yesterday. What was the original series episode with the uh, Air Force pilot? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, we saw it at the Enterprise like with some clouds, and it didn't. You know, hey, sixties. But there's a reason they didn't do that very often. Even even Star Wars was hasn't. You know, when they did it in the, uh, Empire Strikes Back, showing ships over all this white, you know, bright stuff. It was. It's hard to do, you know. Um, and even after they had digital compositing, so it, the um, the lines and stuff wasn't weren't so obvious. Uh, still, it, it's hard to do because it can just look weird. We have such a preset image of what clouds and Earth surfaces, like planet surfaces, look like, because we live on one and walk around in one every single day. Um, but I bought it completely. I think they did such a great job, effects-wise, and I'm sure this was ILM. But you know, with um, giving like the Enterprise some weight, so as it's flying over to the volcano, you know, and it looks so good, and then it flies off through the uh, air and we got these great sound effects and I'm, and I'm assuming it was Ben Bird again, you know, the Star Wars guy that they brought on for the last um, Abrams Star Trek uh, with doing all these cool sound effects and stuff, but because some of them are kind of Star Trek or excuse me, Star Wars-ish but in a cool way, but a great sound effect is the things flying by. That, that whole scene is, is was was really good, and like the best of Star Trek, you know, it ends up asking some some good questions. We've just discussed the Prime Directive quite a bit uh, in previous uh, uh, recent episodes of our podcast, um, but all very exciting. I feel like I'm, uh, <laughs> like I'm monopolizing this this show, guys. Any anything you want to add about that opening section? No. Well. Uh- yeah, I would just to reiterate what I said. Well, I mean, it kind of reminds you know I had to think because you've seen it a couple of times, so you've had a time to to kind of absorb more of the movie probably than any of us at this podcast and probably anybody listening <laughs> or most anybody listening. So um, yeah, that whole scene with the that was very I, it was a nice touch. You know, we've we've seen the the little shuttle go by the Enterprise and you get nice looks at the Enterprise, and I think that was I I was a little disappointed from the first movie because I never felt like I got a really good look at the Enterprise. In his first movie, yeah, you know, Abrams went out of his way in the previous one to like to never show to to rarely show like the whole Enterprise in the shot because he wanted it to feel so big that it couldn't be contained within the frame. Cool idea, effective, uh, but yeah, you it was hard to get a nice sense of what's the damn ship look like, you know? Yeah, but you definitely get it in those Nibiru shots. It's so bright and and yeah. Uh, well, you get it, yeah. We're going to have the opposite effect later on in this movie when the Vengeance shows up and it just dwarfs the Enterprise, which is another um, cool effect. Um, I, I like the moment. I really like the moment. Again, played in the trailers. Uh, but um, if if our positions were reversed, uh, what would Spock do? And Bones says he'd, he'd let you die. You know, and that's one of the things I think Abrams does really well. And another thing Mark Altman pointed out in his review that I really liked was... was um, you know, this is only, you know, uh, Abrams has only directed a few movies at this point, obviously produced a lot of stuff, but this really feels like his, like he's really matured now. He's a full-on 
director director you know and and stuff like what would spock do he'd let you die that's one of the things i think about because there's so much going on in that scene it, there's so much motion but still he manages to, he manages to slow it down for just a few seconds and we get a real character moment that's genuine just takes a few seconds doesn't feel like we slowed the scene down or stopped anything um, and just a couple of lines. And I think that's very effective. And I think he does that a lot. And, and you know, through this whole movie, there's constantly, um, anytime there's, there's a character scene or character development through dialogue or whatever, it, there's always something going on. They're, they're walking, they're in the, uh, uh, Spock and Uhura have their relationship discussion as that shuttle is, is uh, going down to Kronos, you know. Um, at times, it's almost too much this way because sometimes it feel, can feel a little bit formulaic because I know they're not going to end this conversation. No matter where, what it is, they're not going to end this conversation. There's going to be an explosion or the ship's going to shake or something's going to happen to get them out of this conversation. You know, like when Spock finds uh, Marcus looking at the torpedoes and she says, uh, you know, don't tell my father that I'm here. Boom. You know, they, they emergency break out of warp or whatever. So there's a lot of that. So sometimes it feels a little bit like, oh, we're having a character conversation. We're having an actual conversation. I know we're going to explode out of it. Um, but, you know, it's a minor, minor quibble. Uh, anyway, the opening ends with that beautiful match cut with the Nibiru um, kind of drawing that picture of the Enterprise uh, in the red clay and goes to the nice shot of the Enterprise in space. Very cool. Um, and then we get uh, London, Noel Clark as the dad. That's an interesting sequence because it's all... Um, there's not really any dialogue in most of that sequence when we see that family with the child and you know, the dad and stuff, and, and it's a nice sequence, and you, you understand what's going on. It reminds me of, like, I don't know, the opening of um, the Pixar movie, Up, you know? <laughs> uh, telling this little story was just a little Giacchino piece. Um, what you guys, did you guys even notice the music? What did you think of the music? Because I, I was kind of, I, I love Giacchino's score in the first one, and that London sequence at the beginning is one of the few kind of full-on new cues, that little piano cue. It's nice, but... Um, every other Giacchino score, I've always been like blown, so blown away. And here, I felt like it was just good. You know what it reminded me of? The difference, like going from James Horner's Star Trek Two to Star Trek Three, where yes, it's a new score, but it it's it's so based on all the themes and stuff of the previous one that I don't know. It feels like a maybe there's not enough new. Yeah, I'd concur with that assessment. Yeah, I, it was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really. I mean, I knew. I. I didn't really notice it. I mean, I guess you know, and nothing really stuck out. And I think, yeah, primarily that was because so many of the themes were things I was familiar with from the last one. Yeah, I would say uh, the only mu- music piece that I've noticed out of both of these films was the um, was the opening sequence in the first film. So other than that, I haven't really noticed the music at all. So when I don't notice it, I don't tend to think it's that great. It's just why it's just one of the things that I think is a, a bit of a weakness in these in Abrams' spinoff so far. Well, I, I like it. I mean, I, I I really like his main themes. I think they're cool. Um, it's just that I thought but they were again, cool in the last movie, and then in this movie there were only a couple. It felt like there were only a couple of new that little piano thing in London, and then I know there's some new like Klingon music with some cool choir stuff, but it's so buried in the big action set piece, and I don't know. You just, I just didn't hear it very much, and it just 
it felt a little bit yeah like to me there wasn't enough new but yeah um, it kind of gets washed yeah it kind of gets washed out you know (laughs) there's a lot going on visually and explosion wise it's hard to keep track of um, you know the the violins in the background and I I think I think if if you don't notice the score if you're so into what's actually going on in the film then it's actually serving its purpose especially in that that segment you're talking about Brian with the uh, um, uh, father daughter segment I, I I think that's that's a testament to how good it actually is then if if you don't notice it I don't know if that makes sense no, that totally that's one way to look at it. It's one way to look at it. Yeah, in the same now, way it that be intru- it shouldn't be intrusive. It should actually serve the film. And if if you're not, you know, paying complete attention to the score, and you're, you know, if it's serving its purpose, then I I think it works. Yeah, in the same way that that you know, an actor needs to be in the scene and in the moment with the other characters. You know, even if they were really good, if they weren't uh, gelling in that moment, then they could stick out, and that I. And that wouldn't be good. I definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, but I, I, yeah, I also realized that I specifically listen to the music just because I'm uh, a bit of a music score guy. Eh. Well, usually, usually, you know, in Trey's right, you know, when you watch a movie, especially for the first time, you don't notice music much. And the reason I said that the music, I, I find it to be weak and it's the same music, and, and this one is the same, because I've seen the first movie several times, and that's when you pick up on the music, and you know you pick up uh, on the other things, and I just never really got into it. I'm not saying it's like terrible music and should never be listened to. It it, it goes with the movie, obviously, but it, I don't particularly find it good or bad, so I don't notice it at all, really. Well, after that opening sequence, uh, and then you get um, No Clark in London, Benedict Cumberbatch is introduced... Um, we get probably the only kind of calm-ish section of the movie before it just takes off and never stops um, which is some, a lot of character stuff uh, you know Pike demotes Kirk for being reckless um, well I guess we do have the London attack and then we go to the Pike being a mentor in the bar scene I mean, the, the, the bar scene is nice between Pike and Kirk because um, as I'm watching it I was just thinking I, I, it was like I immediately realized for the first time, the, the first time I saw it, Pike sits down and he starts saying, and as soon as he called Kirk son, you know, you're just going to be okay, son, or something like that, I thought, he's going to die in this movie. <laughs> 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 like, you have to kill the mentor. I didn't really, I wasn't so conscious of him being the mentor, but, you know, hey, if you're Dumbledore or Obi-Wan, you're toast. And so I realized <laughs> immediately he was going to die in this movie. And, and I was surprised that he died in, like, the next scene. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, but Bruce Greenwood is so good. I remember uh, the previous film, thinking the first time I saw it, and every time I've seen it since. Honestly, I've always thought Bruce Greenwood probably brought give us the best performance out of the 2009 Star Trek. He he was so great as as uh, Pike. He doesn't have as much screen time here, I don't think, but um, he's he's great here as well. Um. A lot of nice little Spock Kirk moments. You know, you understand why I went back for you, don't you? No response. You know, that's nice. Um, Starfleet uh, attack, transport beaming. You know, that bothered me in the previous movie. 
because it feels like it kind of breaks Star Trek. I felt that way again today uh, or for this movie. Why? I mean, he could have just beamed onto a ship and gone to Kronos, right? Uh, and does is that that's just the Star Trek nut in me that dislikes the transport beaming thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's, a little, yeah, yeah. There's a few. There's a few moments that we're gonna get to. That was one that bothered me as well. It's just like, okay, you can you can just go anywhere. Why do you even need a ship? Trey, as a movie fan, not a Star Trek nut, did that? But no, did you even notice that? Is that just no. us? No. Okay. Good. That's that's what I thought, and that's one of the reasons I wanted you on here was to confirm stuff like that. So yeah, that. But the, okay, so it does bother me, and um, it's just because yeah, why even have ships if we can just beam to um, anywhere we want? Why even have ships? And and you know, on that note, also. How do they get to Kronos in one day? Yeah, no, it's um, well, even on the way back, it's like ten minutes. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a little fast. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how they got like super super warp, but again, that's the kind of thing that I, it didn't really. Bo- it doesn't bother me. That doesn't really bother me. Even the transport beaming, you know, it's 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 in and out. It's done. It doesn't really bother me. In fact, transport beaming seemed like it didn't bother me. It seemed like it bothered me more in the previous one than this one, because um, they were also at warp uh, somehow. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I guess I'm a structure. That, uh, that's where that is that where it crosses the line for you, Brian. Yeah, works. I guess so. It's hard enough <laughs> to beam somebody at work. Now you're going to beam them trans. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, that, let me uh, read uh, an email from a, a listener. I asked you guys to send us your thoughts. Ben, our friend from the uh, UK, he was on our show once, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was on our show once. Um, he he emailed emailed in to say um, I thought I'd get my opinions on Into Darkness. So here it is. First of all, I'd like to say I really enjoyed it and think it was well put together and well written. Uh, but despite that, I personally think J.J. Abrams should have done a more original story without Khan and the role reversal of Spock dying scene from Wrath of Khan. Uh, but because I enjoyed the film so much and the film was a nice take on it, I didn't really mind or notice. Other than a few minor moans, like why did Spock and Uhura not really uh, get off that shuttle thing towards the end of the film and how did they get to and back from Kronos in one day, I have good things to say about the film. I love Dr. McCoy's banter, especially with Spock and the red shirt jokes were good. There was also some nice reference to previous films and TV episodes, and the Section 31 take on it was really nice, even if Kirk didn't ask who Section 31 is. Or, um, and that, that's a good point, too. I hadn't thought of it until I read his opinion. Uh, but he was too busy. Probably true. Um, also a big fan of Simon Pegg, as he comes through as funny and intelligent, making his character one of the best in this and the last film. And his and my fellow Brit, Benedict Cumberbatch, performed outstanding as Khan. I do hope they bring Khan back straight away, as I think it will get uh, better with time, leaving the character out for a few films. P.S. Can you answer me this? Did Uhura and Spock have a relationship in the original series or books or animated series, as it doesn't seem right to me, even if it seems natural in the film? Um, Thank you very much for sending in your thoughts there, Ben. Um, To answer that question, no, I don't believe they ever had any kind of a relationship. In the original series, do you guys correct me if I'm wrong, there was there was a little something, just looks or something maybe in a couple of episodes. Yeah, like, but yeah, nothing, nothing that would necessarily be deemed romantic. No. You know, but wasn't like it, a fondness. Wasn't, it, <clears throat> wasn't the, the nurse that had more of a crush on him? Yeah, yes. right, Chapel. And then they Chapel. even had, whenever he was, well, he wasn't high, <laughs> some high, high on something. <laughs> uh, you know, then he had some kind of a thing. All right, right. The um, yeah, yeah, yeah. naked time, or yeah, naked time. 
he says some things about Chapel. Um, but there was that episode where the where he and Uhura he's like playing the little Vulcan harp and she's singing. I don't know, maybe yeah, just something. But no, there was no relationship, and I don't know of anything in the canon anywhere else where they ever had that. Which is one of the things that made it so cool in the previous movie. But it feels even more than the previous one where it was just like exciting and new. It feels honest and genuine to me. It's one of the best things in in the picture to me is that is their relationship and it's amazing that with just a few conversations not even that like what two two conversations maybe um they take it somewhere um so that that sequence when they're in the shuttle going down to chronos uh and he says what does he say something like it's because um of my feelings for you that I choose jo- that I chose not to feel when I thought I was going to die. Um, it's a simple little statement, but it's it, it's it's very meaningful. You guys like that relationship? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm good with it. It's um, it's a little bit of um, you know, I, we'll get into this more, but I mean, it adds at least <laughs> some um, some emotion to a really fast paced film where you're not where, mm-hmm. where you're mostly feeling adrenaline. So. Um, yeah, he was able to slow it down a little bit, tiny little bit here and there for a little, for a few nice little pieces like that. Um, but then, bam, you're you're back on the ride. So, but no, I enjoy. I I like the relationship. I don't feel I don't share um, Ben's sentiments, but I mean, well, it's okay. speaking of those emotional moments, uh, so Pike does die. Um, I thought it was really cool that Spike, you know, Spike, <laughs> that Spock would mind meld with him. Um, <laughs> And, and again, that scene I just mentioned in the shuttle, he actually references what was going through Pike's mind at the time of his death. And you know what? It, there's nothing good about it. No. <laughs> there was no, you know, it was all bad. He was, <laughs> he was scared, he was confused, and he died, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he plays it up, even Greenwood does a good job it's just you know it's it's the kind of thing it's quick on the page it's quick on the in the in the movie but they really still have to perform 110 percent for that sort of thing um and of course kurt comes over and laments the death of his mentor but what does that seem 30 seconds not even that it's so quick you know yeah well, um, I don't know. I, think, I guess they were in a writing conundrum there. I don't, that's the only thing I can think of because I kind of felt the same way about you. It was like, really? Kind of, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, not, not a lot of positive things to say about the man right before he, he left. Um, not that he was I think there's it. something honest honest about that. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're going to die that way. Um, we get uh, uh, Peter Weller as uh, Admiral Marcus. What do you guys think of uh, Peter Weller? It seemed like everybody else really loved him. I thought he was fine, but. Um, I don't know. He seemed like he was, like he was talking or he was shouting. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't blown away by him. I'm glad to see he's still getting work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'll get some exposure with this one. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, I, yeah. He didn't blow me away in the role. I thought it was. I thought it was good. You know, I thought he, it served it. You know. Well, he mentions uh, Section 31. It's a quick little thing, but it's one of those little things that's fun for fans. Um, they had a lot of fun little things in that scene, you know, the, the models. and Yeah, you could see all the models of the Enterprise. That was fun. That yeah, was I mean, fun. it was the first time we probably get to see the um, the NX. The Enterprise, Enterprise. Yeah. Yep. The NX-01. Um, 
and then uh, he, he sends them out. Marcus sends them out to fire these torpedoes from a distance, and and it's it's kind of the only you know the point of our podcast. What is this about? What 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 themes is it uh, discussing? Um, and this is this is probably the the main thing in the movie that it tries to touch on is this idea of you know uh, drone strikes. Um, Spock has his comments about um, there's no Starfleet regulation that condemns a man to die without trial, uh, and he's trying to talk Kirk out of just firing these torpedoes at, the, at a distance. Um, uh, you know, from that point of view, it even starts to feel like um, Cumberbatch's Harrison slash Khan. It's like um, you know Osama bin Laden hiding in the the mountains <laughs> of Pakistan. So Harrison Harrison goes and hides on Kronos, the one place we can't go. And it, I didn't feel like it was heavy handed. I um, I don't know if it didn't it didn't it didn't seem to me like I spent a lot of time on it, but. <clears throat> that was my initial reaction and I read a few reviews of the picture and there was one guy uh, Forrest Wickman who, who made a, an interesting point um, while Kirk and Spock I'm, I'm quoting his review here uh, while Kirk and Spock oppose drone warfare the film shows the very real dangers of the alternative a manned action to capture and prosecute the terrorist so uh, first, there's the high risk of casualties. When Kirk's search party lands on Kronos, they're swarmed by Klingons and are nearly captured and killed. Second, there's the risk of provocation. Their capture in enemy territory uh, territory might pre- precipitate a deadly war with the Klingons. Um, and that's something I hadn't thought about, was that they're also kind of pointing out it's it's dangerous to go in there, too. You know, that's that's that has its own set of um, danger. Did, did this seem like it was a little very 9-11-ish you know, Bush Cheney to you guys? Um, or was that you know, even Mar- Admiral Marcus um, No, I, I, I read the same, I read an article about that today. I didn't really feel that way. I mean... You did, did you, you didn't even feel it the first time you saw it? No. A little bit? No. no? I well, mean... The other thing was... I mean, Watching through it, yeah, I, I absolutely felt that watching through it, uh, um, and and especially towards the very end when you see um, uh, uh, Khan crashing, you know, de- destroying, um, was it San Francisco? Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's it, yeah, and I and sorry, I'm just rambling here, mumbling, but yeah, I, I did see it or thought that. The other, the other uh, comment is the, is the way Marcus is kind of trying to use Khan's um, terrorist attack in London to justify war with the Klingons, even though the Klingons didn't have anything to do with it, in the same way maybe that Bush used 9-11 to justify the invasion of Iraq, even though Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. Um, that was even maybe a little bit more subtle to me, but just generally, it's I certainly felt it on the first viewing as far as um, using these um, unmanned drones, these well, not, they turned out to not actually be unmanned, but you know there were people in the torpedoes, but you know what I mean. Uh, using those at a distance to to summarily execute someone who had not had a chance of you know there was no due process of any sort, um, and that's just as true today, even with a 
very different administration um, running the United States, but as opposed to uh, Bush, I mean. Um, so if there's anything in this movie that it's trying to talk about occasionally, that that's it. But it, you know, if you if you didn't feel it very much, or if it, they didn't stick with it very long, um, or if you don't feel like they had anything valuable to add to the conversation. No, I, I definitely, and I'm sure it was, um, it, it could have been planned. I don't know the, how the writers, if that's what they wanted to reflect. I mean, the same can be said about um, Iron Man, the latest Iron Man film. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to create conflict somewhere, and there's always been, um, uh, you know, whether it's the Star Trek movies in the 80s where the Klingons were more, were more Russian-like. Um, yeah. You see it in Bond films. They, they kind of display this political narrative like this from time to time. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not hard to write, write, a, write like that. I mean, it's not, it's not, you don't have to go very far to see a movie that um, pits... Um, enemies of our, our today's or our perceived enemies of today's society into a film. Uh, yeah, I, I think they, I think they probably consciously put those kind of things in there. And on, on another level, I also think this is kind of, um, a tried and true tradition of, uh, Trek, <laughs> Trek and especially Trek films also is the notion of, um, the senior leadership in Starfleet being corrupt in some way, shape, or form, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, this kind of theme, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's overused, but, uh, you know, here we go again. You know, like, how many, are there any good admirals and things, you know, that, <laughs> that, that notion. Right. <clears throat> um, what do you guys think of uh, Alice Eve as Carol Marcus? She's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> She's quite lovely, young lady. You think she's gonna have any uh, babies, and they'll name them David? <laughs> no, they'll just be named um, Samuel in this version. Samuel. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I I liked her. I, I read some some people's comments about you know why is she even in the movie? She doesn't do anything Carol Marcus would have done. They don't have a relationship or anything, but it, that didn't bother me. It seemed like they were just setting it up for, for the next one, you know? Um, so I thought it was a fun callback. If you knew who she was, great. And if you didn't, no harm. That didn't, that didn't bother me. Um, I didn't care that she had an English accent. Apparently at some point they, they had something written. I don't know if they didn't shoot it or just edit, cut it out or whatever, where she explains that she has an English accent because she was raised in London or something, I don't know. But obviously, B.B. Um, Besh did not have an English accent. Didn't bother me. Um, I, I like the moment where Scotty resigns. Uh, you, um, you know, this is a military operation. I thought we were explorers. What happened to that? Um, I think Scotty, you know, Simon Pegg, like, like um, Ben pointed out, Simon Pegg is very good, and, and Scotty's has... He really does a lot in this movie. This is probably the most featured Scotty the character has ever been. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, everything would have been for sure lost without what he does yes, in this movie. Yes, absolutely. And it and it begins with him holding the line on his convictions, you know. Mm hmm Um Well see, I mean Simon Peck's great. I mean <laughs> I'm a big Simon Peck fan, so anytime you get to see more Simon, 
it's just a, it's a great casting and it's one of the it's one of the good things that JJ's done is this cast is just they're great they we were talking about um, Spock and Lahora I mean for a short amount of time as they've been on screen you can kind of feel that connection that chemistry between the actors they've been managed to pull it off and so it's um they're they're all really good um, these characters these, these actors they're um, it was what I was really, I'm sure it was what we were all worried about going into this whole new Trek adventure is like, what mm-hmm. were the new actors going to be like? And I can say genuinely after two films, it wasn't a fluke for the first film. They, it was one of the very positive things about this film is that these guys have really been able to pull off the essence of what the original crew was able to do and actually create their own characters and be just as likable. If anything, that's one of the few complaints, minor quibble that I have with this film, is that I do think that everybody does such a good job, and for the most part, everybody gets their moment to shine, uh, except Bones. Carl Urban does such a great job as Bones, and he doesn't really get to do much. Even in the, It seemed like he had more in the previous film. In this one, everybody kind of gets a moment except him, and of course, we all know that, that it used to be in the other, in, in our in the Prime Universe, it was it was the triumvirate of, 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 of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Now, in this universe, it's more of Kirk, Spock, and Uhura, and that's cool. Uh, you know, and I hope if that gets more, especially more younger butts in the seats, I'm all for it. It's cool. It works. We're great. That chemistry is very good. Uh, but even accepting that, I still felt like um, Urban was underused in this movie. He he has almost he has the the, the sequence where he's um, on the planet that with uh, Carol Marcus diffusing the torpedo. And then I guess near the end, he sort of saved, he does save Kirk, but it's not like we really experience any of that. Um, did you guys feel uh, cheated out of bones in this movie? Yeah, Chekhov had little screen time in this one too. Um, but yeah, I'd agree he didn't have a, a lot to do in this film. He was entertaining. Just like the film, I mean, but he didn't have a lot to do. Um, yeah, I think I, I I agree with that. I think I think sometimes you know there, somebody gets gets shortchanged just because you have so many you know people you want to give some screen time to when you have a you know essentially the seven you know there to deal with. But I think I think we're so accustomed to Bones having more of a role because of you know, our history with it. And so that might be some of it, but in yeah. general, generally speaking, yeah, he seemed to get the, the shortest amount of time out of any of them. This reminds me of something I wanted to bring up briefly. Um, I, we recorded a little 10 or 12 minute, uh, pre Star Trek into darkness discussion a long time ago. And I stuck it on our last podcast. So I hadn't listened to it in a while. I listened to it and kind of the gist Steve of something you were talking about was, um, you weren't as excited about the movie because it wasn't your Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. um, which totally understandable. But it got me to kind of thinking when I was watching it this time, because you remember the previous Abrams picture, they literally marketed it with, this is not your father's Star Trek. I remember mm-hmm. seeing a trailer that said that, or a TV spot, <laughs> I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time when I was watching this one, and I, I, I still kind of feel that same way to an extent, uh, I mean, I absolutely, I absolutely do feel that way, and I and I just accept that it's not going to change. Um, I started thinking for the first time: like, is this what when Next Gen came out in 1987, and there were original series fans who said, "I'm not watching that Next Gen. 
that's not my Star Trek. You know, is is that the same thing? It, you know, I was wondering when I kind of felt a little bit um, ostracized when watching this movie because it is so different from my Star Trek. I started, I felt for the first time like, am I an old guy? Am I, am I <laughs> closing my mind off in the same way that maybe some people did in 1987? Is that the same thing? You, you know, okay, here's the thing for me. Um, I'm, I'm actually better now after watching this than I was. And I'll tell you why. Um, it's because that they, they showed respect toward the prime universe by, you know, by making not only, not only, uh, Spock Prime's appearance, but also, yes. <laughs> but but also through various references, not just the kind of little tidbits like Section Thirty One that are just fun, but also things like, you know, they they went to the trouble of explaining to people like one percent of people even get this the notion why Khan is here in 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 the late twenty two fifties and not later. You know, they make a reference to going out in space and uh um quicker because of the whole you know, you know what I'm saying. This kind yeah. of stuff. And 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 that that's that's enough respect showing and, and so I've got I've got to the point with this that it's kinda like it's it's not it's not it's just like a second cast of original series people. I don't even it's not even the same thing. I don't even think of it. It's almost like a I just accept it as an alternate universe of the original series and that's that's fine, you know, as long as we we consider that and they reference it that way, I'm good with it. Stylistically, you know, it it is very different. Um but, you know, we've seen we've seen various changes over the course of time, you know, if you compare you know, the production values of the original series versus some of the other series, and now we take this leap to this, you know. So, um, yeah, I still feel like it's not my trek in that way, but uh, for some reason, after seeing this now, I- I'm feeling a little better about the whole thing. I completely agree. That is exactly how I feel. I'll remember everything I'm, gonna, I'm about to say if you had something else to say. Is that Caesar who I heard? Oh, yeah, I agree with okay. him too. Um, the one thing that I still question is, is like, where are they going to go with this? What's the ultimate? Is there an ultimate goal or is it just to kind of like make movie after movie? That's, that's kind of my, my only question. Is like, okay. What's the ultimate goal? Is there an ultimate goal or does it even matter to them? Well, I, I definitely completely agree about this movie making me feel a little bit better about the so Trey, I don't if if you don't know what we're even talking about to an extent here. You know, in the first film, uh, when they destroy, we were so used to uh, back up. Okay, so like I'm I'm a trekker. I don't call myself a trekkie. I'm a trekker, and the difference is no offense to trek trekkies. I'm sorry, our listeners have heard me say this a million times. I'm, I'm explaining this for our guest special guest Trey. Uh, the difference is I'm a, I go on a journey, right? So I live inside this Star Trek universe, and I love the universe so much, and I have to know what's happening. So even when say Enterprise wasn't such a good show, you know the one with Scott Bakula, uh, I watched it every single week because that's how my love of Star Trek was worked, and obviously a lot of other people because we have a name for ourselves. You <laughs> know. Um, so when in the last movie they destroyed Vulcan, which in Star Trek there's a very specific timeline. There are over 700 episodes of television that define that timeline. When they destroyed Vulcan, I didn't think twice about it. I just assumed by the end of the movie they were going to fix the timeline, right? And when that didn't happen, it was it was pretty gut wrenching. And it, you know, for weeks I couldn't sleep. I'm that crazy, yes. And I'm I, I can only say that because I know I'm not alone. Um, so you following following all that? Uh, are you familiar with that? Um, oh, concern? absolutely. And okay. I, I, think, I think we talked about it before. Um, when I, because uh, I remember seeing uh, Abrams, uh, this, 
to first film uh, a, a week in advance before anybody else and mm-hmm. telling you how much I, I absolutely enjoyed it. And then you saw it, and I think for a good 30 minutes, uh, were, were telling me how disappointed and, and <laughs> that you were by just very passionate. So absolutely, I, I completely... Now, if they they it wasn't a remake. We talked about this in our pre-release Star Trek Into Darkness conversation too. If it had been a flat-out remake, that would have been unforgivable. What they did in retrospect was the smartest, best compromise. You know, they created this alternate timeline, so they are now freed up dramatically. Yet they're saying the other stuff still happened. That's cool. Um, but so, getting to what Steve, you were saying. So this movie made me feel so much better about that for those kind of reasons that you mentioned. It, it helped a lot. Way, I didn't expect that to happen, but it did. The biggest part, as you mentioned, for me, the biggest part was Spock Prime. Having Leonard Nimoy in there for that one little shot, one little <laughs> dialogue. He's, I, by the way, I had no idea he was in the damn movie. I mean, I, I, you know, I generally avoid spoilers. Of course, I watched every bit of official marketing and, um, and picked apart the trailers shot by shot. But... I had not heard that he was in in the movie at all, so that was really cool. That was exciting. I mean, as soon as he said, um, Spock asked Uhura to get New Vulcan on the line. I was like, Oh my God, is Leonard Nimoy in this movie? <laughs> also, a side point: How can they communicate with New Vulcan yet they can't contact Earth, which is only a couple hundred thousand kilometers away? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, never mind. Maybe the moon was in the way. I don't know, but that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> it worked. Um, but bringing him on, it was it was this beautiful tiny little thing to just remind you and to just solidify this concept that this is an alternate timeline. It is. And there's Spock Prime. You know, that was great. And it was the first time ever. Watching the first movie, um, there was this sense that the reason it was so crushing was this sense of they're saying that what I love never happened. You know? And the the idea that it was a truly alternate timeline was something that kind of came out as fan reaction went nuts, you know, and, and the writer said, no, 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 it's a separate timeline. It's an alternate timeline. The other timeline still exists, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Um, that felt like something that more came out of fa- after fans like me were heartbroken. Um, this movie, it's, it's like it, it says, it, 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 it's like it says, yes, that is what we meant the first time. We really meant it to be an alternate timeline. We weren't saying we're changing the prime timeline, you know, it, somehow having Spock on that screen for two minutes or not even that, a minute, whatever, was just that. When he says, and that's one of the greatest moments in the picture, when he says, like, you know, uh, alternate universe Spock asks Spock Prime, how did you defeat Khan? You know, and he says, at great cost. You know, we all know what that, what he's talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's such a sense of, yes, these other things really happened. In the other timeline, I gotta be. You know, <laughs> this is our Star Trek podcast. Only Star Trek nuts fans. Nuts. Hey, when I, if I call you nuts, I'm a nuts too, and it's a, it's a, it's a positive <laughs> statement. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. It's not an insult. It's a compliment. Um, but some of the things I'm saying on here is like, <laughs> if you were a Star Trek fan, if you didn't know me, I wouldn't want you to hear this. If you didn't understand Star Trek and how we love Star Trek so much, I I, I would be scared for you to listen to it because you'd be like. Wait, he's saying he feels better because because uh, Leonard Nimoy playing Spock Prime came on and said, "Yes, it's true. These other things really did happen. This is just an alternate universe." <laughs> uh, anyway, 
Um, so I, I was so grateful for those moments. I was so grateful for this solidification of the concept that this is an alternate timeline. It's made me feel even better about the previous movie. It's the first time that I've seen it, this alternate timeline, and, and felt that it was an alternate timeline. Uh, it's the first time I've seen it and thought, maybe this will be, let's say they do one more movie, and maybe that will be the end of it and then that's just this other timeline it, it could be it, it's the first time I even thought that was a possibility it's the first time I felt like it didn't have to be so for me to be satisfied I'd still always feel like maybe the other things happen so that was very 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 I, I really wanted to spend a minute on that because I felt so strongly about it after that first viewing so um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, Steve you agreed with me yeah, about that. And and I, and, I, and to address Adam, you mentioned where do we go from here on that too. You know, I, I think there's a lot of possibilities, and I think, um, see, here's the deal. You know, because with with them with them stating there's timelines like this, we could, we could, anything could happen. You know, we'll probably see another movie. You know, with this bunch. You know, we're, that's likely to be the case, right? Um, but from there. I think I think pretty much anything is possible, and all I ask as a Trek fan is consistency. You can do anything you want, just just ma- just make some kind of rule that makes it make some kind of sense. You know, like and that's all they had to do for this series of movies to get a license to do anything they wanted to do with the timeline. In fact, if if you if you want to play the game. Uh, change some little episode in history and see what happens. I think that's that's a great fun game. Let's let's show the whole dang next gen series and see, with one wrinkle in the timeline or something. Who cares? Whatever you know, as as long as there's some kind of consistency with it. And I think um, I think it's a it's a fairly ingenious license because all you got to say is that you're dealing with an alternate timeline to do any kind of myriad of things you want to do, uh, different TV shows, different types of movies, different w- whatever. So. Um, that, that's my feeling on it. That said, um, if, if I, w- I would want it to be kind of limited, but I suppose if they just come up with one alternate timeline every 50 years, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Caesar? No, I was going to say, no, you're right. They can do anything. Um, my thing, I kind of like to hold stories to a higher standard. It's like, what are you trying to say? So you have these movies, and so maybe we'll get into this later about what this movie is about and what is it trying to say. I think we've kind of talked a little bit about it but that's just kind of weak to me um what what we mentioned is just kind of a, a it just doesn't hold for me what we were talking about earlier so my my feeling is is okay what was the first movie trying to say does it relate to the second movie and where is the story going so what are they trying to say with the story are they trying and my my feeling is yeah they can do anything so are they going to try to say something with yeah. this timeline are they going to try to make it more meaningful yeah, I, get your point. Yes. I, I have than what it is right now that. I have some questions um, about that. Let's let's finish going through the because there really isn't that much narrative left since most of the last bit of the movie is action. So let me just finish real quickly the getting through the the skeleton of the narrative. Uh, they land on Kronos. By the way, when they when they arrive at Kronos, was that a destroyed Praxis in the? Did you see that? Was that me? I I was trying to confirm that. Nobody seems to know. I don't know. No, I, mean, I have no idea. How many moons does Kronos have? Well, you know, Star Trek Six, their primary uh, energy production moon, Praxis explodes at the beginning of Star Trek Six. That sure looked like an exploded moon in orbit of Kronos. Maybe they, have, maybe they keep have done that to multiple moons. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, they land. By the way, what you guys think of this? The update. I'm, I'm sure we could find a made-up reason for why the Klingons look a little different. Their ships look a little different. Um, 
It's a okay. different timeline. But, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as, yeah, they can but, do anything they want, obviously, in this timeline. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 like it. It, they look cool. Aesthetically, I wasn't, I wasn't totally thrilled with the way the Klingons themselves looked, aesthetically. What about their ships? I was okay with planet. that, more or less. Yeah. See, I did. I liked the makeup. It, it wasn't. It was a little smoother than I think, than than what we're normally used to. It was more of a smoothed out Klingon ridges and that kind of thing. But I, I, I liked it. Um, what do you think, Trey? Man, I, I dug it. <laughs> That's I. I, I um, honestly, I was so involved with uh, what was going on I, uh, I'm losing my train of thought uh, forgive me but I enjoyed well, it well we didn't we really only saw the one Klingon yeah, uh, yeah. face wise but you know I thought he looked cool and, and I thought I thought he was <laughs> consistent with the way everything looks a little new and different and cool and, sure. uh, and that didn't bother me I thought maybe their ships were just the tiniest ever so tiny tiny bit Generic, or or maybe it's that they looked like they blended a little bit too much into the background. Maybe right, no color. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very minor comment. I thought I thought the effects work all in that in that whole sequence was pretty awesome. There was this one shot where when um, their shuttle like lands and then Uhura walks out and you <clears> see <throat> the other Klingon ships. It's like one, um, you know, you can you can just barely see the seam, but it's pretty impressive. This one long kind of effect shot that was really cool. Um, <clears throat> But I, I thought the Klingon stuff was cool. Of course, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as John Harrison as Khan uh, shows up and kills all the Klingons. He's a badass. We saw him in the, a lot of that stuff in the trailers. Um, they, he surrenders. They bring him on board. Kirk, he, he, uh, he talks Kirk into thinking about these other possibilities, about what else could be really be going on. Um, Kirk enlists Scotty's help by giving in the coordinates that um, uh, Harrison, still not con, gives him. Um, he also encourages them to check out their torpedoes. We have the, the nice little scene where they check out the torpedoes. They find humans in the torpedoes. And then we have the scene where Khan reveals himself. Um, it, you guys, I'm sure everybody heard the rumors about him being con, but at, was there a certain point in this movie when you were like, Okay, he's con. Before he says con, I kind of had the I kind of had that feeling the first time they showed him early on in the movie. <laughs> I was just kind of waiting for it, even though I did hadn't read anything. It just kind of had that feel. I kind of I, mean, I, I kind of feel this whole deception was a waste of time, and in fact, may have hurt the movie's marketing a little bit. You know, I, that's yeah. that's my feel on it. Yeah, he didn't. Have, he didn't need to be John Harrison. When it, why no, it wasn't all along. Yeah, it wasn't a surprise. It was just like, yeah, okay. Well, the especially, thing is, well, I mean, the way I'm sorry, especially when he goes, you know, Rambo times a hundred on the Klingons. You know, you're pretty much yeah. And this 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 guy's genetically engineered. Well, if He's I called. had any doubt, once they showed the human inside the torpedo, that's when I felt like, okay. He's gone. Yeah. Um, but. I think what hurts is well. Uh, another review I read, Phil Platt. Phil Plate talks about. He says Khan wasn't menacing in the original series uh, with Khan and Kirk. It was personal, 
and that connects with us, the audience. And I and I agree with that idea. Like there was, you know, the reason Star Trek Two, the reason Maltabon is such a evil, scary guy is that he's. It's all based on you know vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's not here yet. Yeah, there's nothing like that here. Um, well, you, you could say Khan probably would have more vengeance toward um, um, the Admiral. Yeah, that's where his his hatred and vengeance. So Kirk pretty much meant nothing to him at this point, the mm-hmm. way they have it set up. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's so I kind of I kind of like the interaction. Um, and by the way, um, I thought he played a good Khan. Um, but but look at this way. Up, he says my name is Khan. You know, yeah. and there's and put it this way: the only way that has any weight. The only way that has any drama, one, does Khan mean anything to you? <laughs> yeah. The history of Star Trek? Okay. In which case, it's based completely on the quality of the other work, right? So mm-hmm. that's not very fair. Uh, or two, Benedict's performance and the writing for his character. I thought his performance was great, but there isn't much to his character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically, it's pretty shallow. He just, all he does, gets to do in this movie is kind of be villainous. And even that's taken away a little bit because there's this other villain, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like the fact that he was Khan was probably unnecessary. The fact that Cumberbatch plays him so well, he, didn't, he still didn't have much to do. I mean, maybe if he was the only villain and if it had, he hadn't been splitting up the villain time with Marcus, um, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, Cumberbatch does a fantastic job. He's a scary guy. Well, <laughs> His voice I, I, is awesome. But, I wrote a review on IMDb and I said, you know, there wasn't much difference between his characters' names between Khan and being um, who he was to begin. You know, they could have left him as the the evil doctor, and it wouldn't have made a lot of difference to me. You know, they could have yeah. explained that he's an evil doctor who genetically engineered himself, and that would have been fine for this for this movie. And then we wouldn't have that that ten minutes of awkwardness that we'll get to in a bit. See, I think I think it, it having Khan in the film actually works out for people like me that have really only seen the films and haven't delved too deep into the uh, the Trek universe, we know who Khan is and certainly recognize. So when when, uh, when he came out and did the whole I am Khan, you know, bit, uh, my wife and I actually, we looked at each other like, hey, cool, that's, that's awesome. Because we weren't expecting it. We didn't look too deep into the marketing or yeah. into the, the history of Trek, you know, we recognize the name because we've seen the previous film. So I think for for people like me, it worked out really well. But what do you think, Trey? What do you think if somebody uh, if somebody hadn't seen um, Star Trek Two before, would they? No, oh, and it might have come off as a bit overly dramatic. I see. Okay. Hmm. But I mean, it's 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 hard. Well, no, maybe not. There's a lot of young people. That well, well, here I can explain this because I got, I got a guy I work with. He's a, he's about ten, twelve years younger than me, and he's never seen the. He really loves these these new movies, but he's never watched. So he's a new fan, basically, and he's never been totally exposed to any of the old stuff. So um, he didn't realize that Khan was a villain. I, I explained to him. I had to explain to him who Khan was. So hopefully, when he goes to the movie, he'll understand a little bit more about it. But yeah, they. I think most of the new fans really don't know who Khan is because. None of them really gone back and seen any of the old Trek movies, or, or you know, and, th- and that's fine. But yeah, I, th- I think you're you're kind of right. It might be a little bit over dramatic. One thing I was ever so slightly, and this is just the fanboy in me, slightly mm-hmm. disappointed. 
I, I had heard rumors that he was con, didn't know for sure. As soon as he was con, and he's then there's he has that whole scene, which is a pretty lengthy exposition scene where he tells who he was and his history and everything. I really thought we were going to get a little flashback of like big budget eugenics wars. <laughs> I don't know. I thought, oh man, am I about to see that? We've never seen that. Yeah, we didn't get that. Maybe um, in the next movie. He doesn't even mention the eugenics wars. He doesn't actually say anything about the wars. Um, which yeah, is, I mean, but they don't say anything to contradict anything either. So no, no, at no, least that, yeah. Well, genocide, <laughs> genocide is mentioned. I think Spock mentions yeah, genocide. Yeah. Attempted genocide, but yeah, there was there was no flashback of any of any sort. I guess that was just the fanboy in me that wanted to see that. Uh, okay, let's finish out the storyline. Um, the Vengeance shows up. It dwarfs the Enterprise. That that is kind of cool. I, I I found the ship relatively unremarkable except for its sheer size mm-hmm. um, and it looks a little different that it's black that's something we don't see a lot of had that kind of like stealth cloak looking thing um, kind of reminded me of the ship like from Nemesis Nemesis was that a black ship I don't know it was just kind of kind of the visual was the same this big yeah you're right that's the way it yeah um, uh, so Marcus he's on the screen um Yep, I'm gonna kill you guys and catches them at warp, which is kind of neat. I don't think we've seen that before. Boy, that had a real like Star Trek, or excuse me, I keep uh, Star Wars kind of sound effect, like when the the uh, Vengeance is closing in on the Enterprise while they're both at warp, and then it starts firing on it, um, and it breaks out of uh, warp, and um, they're about to destroy the Enterprise. Scotty luckily snuck aboard the ship. He shuts down their weapons. Um, we have a nice big action sequence kind of set piece there where Kirk and Khan space jump to the vengeance. That was cool and it was exciting. When I, The first couple screenings I saw, people were like cheering at the end of that sequence when they arrived. I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was as good as the platform sequence in the other movie, which is the fair comparison. Mm-hmm. But it's just me. Um, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I was kind of disappointed in one thing. I don't think, did you guys can clarify this for me, you especially, Brian. Did the Enterprise fire a shot in this movie? That's a good question. I don't think it did. Wow, I didn't think of that. I never thought. But you and might be the, right. And then I thought about the only other time the Enterprise has not fired a shot in a movie was four. Huh. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, they certainly did some damage. They, yeah, they, they certainly kicked the crap out of it. To, to set off torpedoes in another ship and they would have fired if they had had weapons at that one point with their vengeance but eh, that's a good point interesting point mm-hmm. um so we uh, then spock prime and what i love about spock prime sequence is that uh our spot uh, alternate universe spock communicates with spock prime to ask him how did you deal with with Khan, and that scene actually it's not just there for fan service although it's wonderful fan service thank you guys um Spock Prime makes it clear to alternate universe Spock uh, that Khan is really dangerous. There is zero chance that he's really trying to work with you guys. It has a a practical narrative effect because that's what makes uh, alternate Spock decide to arm those photons. I want to say photon torpedoes, not photon torpedoes. Anyway, that's what makes him decide to arm those torpedoes. So I love that there's a practical actual effect from his having that quick communication with Spock Prime. So that's cool. Um, so Khan, Scotty, Kirk go through the vengeance. 
I like that they have a few lines saying that this ship was designed to be run with a minimal crew. Otherwise, you're like, what is going on? How's there nobody here? Mm-hmm. Uh, some fight sequences stuff. I have to be honest, some of the time, some of these action sequences, I'm I'm almost turning off. Like it, it like the, when they have a few some like fist fights on the way to the bridge. You know, I said I usually see Star Trek movies five times opening weekend. This one I only saw well, I saw it like three times opening weekend, and then I saw it one more time this morning. Um, <laughs> and I'd planned to see it another couple times, but it was like. With some of the action sequences, I, I they're not as enjoyable to watch multiple times in a way. Um, some I I don't I it, it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's not like they're bad. I'm I just kind of start to turn off after I've seen them enough times, you know. And I'm I'm just coming back for the for the friendship bonds and the character moments and the Star yep. Trek type stuff. Um, and some of the times, like okay, here's a five minute fist fight on the way to the bridge. Okay, you know, I'm just kind of. Let's okay next. You know, that's that's kind of a minor. I don't, I don't even mean that as a complaint. You, come on, it's not fair to say, "Hey, I didn't want to see it a fifth time." <laughs> that's you know. Well, yeah, I can see. Well, I mean, I can see that happen with pretty much any action movie. If you see them like, if you see it five times no, within see, a couple when days, you see action done really well. I okay, super extreme. You know, I could watch Indiana Jones climbing underneath that truck and Raiders over and over and over all day long. You know what I mean? But, but they're also, yeah, I mean, different story. Yeah, minor, 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 minor comment, but I just wanted to make it. So, um, and then, uh, of course, um, Khan kills Marcus by squishing his head until his brain pops out, I guess. <laughs> Is there going to be a director's cut where we get to see the, mm. the guts or something? I don't know. Uh, I like his line there, you should have let me sleep. That's a nice little line. That was, that, that's from scary stuff. Um, Real quick, the set design in this movie, for the most part, it's what we've seen before. I didn't care for the en- for engineering last time because it really felt like what it was, a, a beer factory. And for the most part, we still have the beer factory, but there's just less of it, so I didn't mind. Except for the warp core, which is something they shot up at Livermore Labs, which I thought looked really cool. It's the first time we've always had this sense of, as somebody put it kind of in a review I read, there's always been this sense of like, you have a room and you bring a computer into it or something, which is not, which is what Star Trek is always has always been for us in engineering. But here, there's this sense of the ship was built around the warp warp core because it is such a massive piece of engineering. You know? Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a cool look as well. Yeah, so I love that. I love. And that was, yeah, and that was the only tech talk we got really from Scotty when he was explaining what would happen if you brought these torpedoes in and how they would react. So that that was your little your little tech. For the for those who like tech talk, that's that's I enjoyed that little tech talk right there. That's another thing we should mention too. Then, so one of the first comments I made after the last film is just as valid here. Like after the last film, I was so shocked that there was no techno babble because my vision, my, the way I understood Star Trek had to be made was it had to have all this techno babble. And Abrams Trek was the first time we saw Star Trek without it, and it worked just as well. And that's that's pretty much true on this movie too. There's really no techno babble. Um, with the exception of that one little moment you you, you just referenced, I think, and then um, when they're diffusing the torpedo, maybe and there's a little bit more tech there. But yeah, it's, there's. I mean, I'm not very, saying it, it's very little it, compared to the Star Trek that we're used to. Yeah, well, it's enough to satisfy me. Basically, it's like yeah, because you can it, tech talk can just go. You can it, it's it's a it's a fine line. You can go if you can you can use it too much, and so probably erring on the side of not enough is probably better. <laughs> Um, 
torpedoes explode in the vengeance after Kirk and Scotty are beamed back. Uh, Enterprise starts crashing toward Earth, and we see seatbelts. Was that funny? Was that supposed to be funny? I don't know. No. How did it get to Earth? From the yeah, moon? They were, if they were over at the moon, it, it maybe is a stretch to say it's caught in Earth's gravity. I know, but you know, that's <laughs> it's fine. We get there awful quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, and it's also weird that there's like no other ships around in orbit once they come down. And, yeah, that's a little weird. But uh, it's moving so fast, you're not noticing any of that. Um, Kirk climbs into the uh, radiated warp core. I love the music there, by the way. That's one of the few times when I was conscious of the music and I liked it. Um, saves the uh, ship. Kirk dies. And then, of course, we get the role reversal from Wrath of Khan. Um, I didn't Spock like this down. One. And they have the the death scene and where Kirk dies inside of the warp core. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that. You know what? Uh, let me just say one sentence. Um, and then the vengeance crashes. Um, um, Spock and Uhura bring Khan back, and they use his blood to bring Kirk back to life. And then the movie ends almost as it began. And when they head off on their five-year mission. End of narrative. Okay. The death scene. Let's talk about the death scene. And then let's talk about the end. And then we'll talk about what it's about. And then we should be good. Go. Oh, I was going to say, it's like, uh, the reason I didn't like the scene is it took me out of the movie. The death scene. Yeah, the death scene. It actually took me out of the movie. Because this isn't going to affect people who aren't long-time Trek fans. And I don't know, it just, it took me out of the movie because it's like, this is its own movie. So far, this has been its own movie, its own story. I didn't feel like I was, other than Khan being in the movie, I didn't feel like any time this was a remake or trying to step on the Wrath of Khan until we got here. And I'm like, why, why, why did you need to do this? Yeah, and I, I agree with that because that's kind of how I felt too. Throughout the movie, references to the other series and shows and stuff, uh, in the other timeline, they were just little nods. And if you got them, great. And if you didn't, great. Near the beginning in the volcano, Spock says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I'm like, oh, cool. That's fun. Yeah. Great. You got it or you didn't. Even Khan, like you said, he isn't that much of like the other universes, this, the prime Khan. So it, you, if you got, if you knew Khan was great, and if you didn't, no, fine. It wasn't, they weren't remaking anything mm-hmm. except for this scene. This scene is... I mean, it even starts with same lines, you know, better get down here, better hurry. Uh, and then you you have the two of them, the only difference, of course, being the role reversal. And they have a couple of lines differently. It's a little bit shorter. Um, I don't like the way it's played. It's, like, so small. Mm-hmm. It, it feels kind of small. Um, it doesn't have very much drama because, of course, they're not going to kill Kirk. You know, of course, he's not going to die. Um, but even in the original... In, in Wrath of Khan, there was a sense of Spock might not be coming back, you know. Um, so basically what happens is you have a scene that feels like a remake of the original and isn't as good and it, because it couldn't be. No. It's never going to be. So why do it? Hmm. Steve? Steve? Did you... <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of that scene? Does it stand on its own? No, it's it's just like a, a Valentine to 
Star Trek two or something. Um, but the problem is the problem with that notion is, is that you can't, if it was, if that's all it is and it was too long, but if it's too short, it has no weight and doesn't seem to mean anything when you have a character dying, which you know, you can't even die. So it, it's kind of a catch 22 in in that situation. So the best choice would be to eliminate it. <clears throat> Yeah, to me, it, uh, it actually felt incredibly forced because I was actually, I was in it and didn't even, you know, catch the role reversal until um, it got to that terrible bit with Spock yelling Khan. And it, it completely took me out of what was going on in the film. And I, I just remember in my head saying, oh, boo. But um, I, was, I was taken out of it. All right, good. I'm not crazy. I haven't got to talk yeah. to anybody about this for a couple of days since I've seen it. No, I felt I felt that way too, and I felt just this. I felt the same unrepeated viewings. You know that that scene, it it not not good. It, it just shouldn't have been there. For new viewers, it's not going to matter, or even for for. But I mean, it's well, that, just, no, I'm glad that's, why, to... that's why I asked. Does it stand on its own? And well, Steve said it didn't, and I and I, I kind of agree. And it sounds like Trey felt like. You know, boo, and it, so if it doesn't stand on its own, then you, then for new viewers, it's going to be just as bad, if not worse. At well, least we have the fun of knowing what they're referencing. Yeah, hmm. I might agree, and I also agree with Trey that it's yeah, it did kind of feel forced. I didn't feel any emotion. You know, as, as much as we know how long the history, as much as we know the history of Kirk and Spock, um, this particular Kirk and Spock, their history is very short. So it yeah. The, the weight, you're, you're right, the weight isn't there to the scene. I'll be honest with you guys. I've watched Star Trek II so many times, I have it, every line memorized, and I still well up a little bit when Kirk is running down there and uh, Horner's got that arrangement of like Amazing Grace and we see the, the Genesis planet coming into being and, and you know Spock's going to die. and it's it's so emotional. It still is. It still is. Thirty years later, it still is. And I, yeah, I felt zero emotion in in that scene. And it, it's the it's the only significant not so good thing in this movie for me. Um, other than that, if I have any complaints, I don't even notice them because the movie moves so darn fast. But that scene, it is what it is, and I I think it's not very good for these kinds of reasons. I don't think it really stands on its own either. It's just one scene in the movie, you know. Um, it doesn't ruin the movie. I mean, No, absolutely not. It does not. You know, and I don't mind... I don't mind that they bring Kirk back to life immediately, although I do think, kind of like the transwarp beaming, maybe this con super serum saving the dead guy's life kind of breaks Star Trek again. Um, but that's a different conversation. Fine. Um... But what 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 bothers me about it isn't so much Kirk's death and resurrection. It's the way that the movie ends. So I actually really enjoy this movie until like the last, you know, 10 minutes or something. Even that death scene, I'm just like, okay, let's get on with it, you know, because I don't care for it. But I don't dislike it. The only thing I specifically dislike, really, is that the last few minutes. So one year later, Enterprise is repaired. We're going off on our five-year mission. And everybody is like we started the movie. It makes the whole movie kind of feel like a bottle show. And here's the reason that bothers me. And this is the last point I want to talk about here. Um, 
if you're going to go to the trouble to create the alternate timeline so that you free yourself up dramatically, so you say, hey, now anything can happen. All bets are off. Why not have some kind of consequence? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. What if it had been Scotty in there, in that, in that uh, warp core? I would have believed they could, they could have killed him. I wouldn't have liked it, but that would have been a level of consequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I, if I, I agree. Kirk wakes up and he's not the guy he was? What if he wakes up after they save his life and he doesn't remember or, or he just feels different or now he's, he's, I don't know, he's scared. He can't get back on the Enterprise. What if the movie had ended with some reason to bring us back into another movie? To me, it, it really didn't because there were no consequences. There's nothing that needs to be repaired now because they fixed it all up and wrapped it up into a nice pretty bow and it basically felt like a bottle episode of the series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and it leaves me with that which is not a pleasant way to leave me feeling. Um, and that bothers well, me more than... Maybe when there's a third movie and I can put it in right immediately, <laughs> then I'll be okay. <laughs> well, but, I think probably, Brian, and then, you know, this is probably why that scene doesn't play well for... Um, Avid's, won't play well for Avid Star Trek fans, because you were brought into the con where there is consequence. Kirk, Kirk had to go through consequence. He had to go through growth. And then you have that scene at the end where you know... They're gonna take you somewhere. It's not so the wrath. The end of the wrath of Khan. You know you're going somewhere, and that's why the scene, the scene that we were just referring, the death scene, um, Kirk's death scene in this movie, it 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 takes you right back to Khan, and then you have that. For me, I had that feeling of Khan. I'm like, and then this movie doesn't end like that, and then you're kind of felt em- you feel empty. So, um, <clears throat> and this is this is going to be kind of my assessment in a nutshell or whatever of how this stuff is going is that they he they do an excellent job of making films that are entertaining and and they're even good in terms of there's a pace their action you want to watch them again and you're just moving along and you know and, and it does things to satisfy a trek fan and new viewers all this stuff you know so i mean you, you can't really complain too much but i think overall um overall it's it's like it the cost is that is character you know i mean there is some interesting character things that happen i'm not gonna say there's nothing but the cost is there's there's very little depth there's very little meaning there's very little real character development or consequence you know and so on and so forth Heart. And, yeah yeah and that's Soul, yeah yeah and that's and that's the thing i mean i i, I for what they are they're very good but um you know it's 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 not there there is something definitely absent that that makes it not why i love star trek in general or something you know well this is the same basic complaint that i had about the previous abrams picture um is that ultimately it wasn't about very much it was one of the many things that inspired me to talk to you guys about doing this podcast was when I saw that movie, and, and I love that movie for what it is. And I'm, believe me, I love that that movie has, made, has brought Star Trek back into the zeitgeist. You know, and it's given us thing, the success of the last Abrams picture is one of the reasons we have Next Gen and being remastered in HD. You know, I, I, I really appreciate it it's, and its success and what it's done for Star Trek. But at the end of the day, what is it about, you know? And um, when you think about, like, let's say they're, they're making a lot of references to Star Trek II, um, Star Trek II has some really weighty themes that it's very um, elegantly discussing, like age and, and our place 
fatherhood. In universe, in fatherhood. I mean, there's a lot of weighty and death, you know, and friendship, and there's a lot of weighty themes in there that they take the time to discuss. Um, and these characters advance. And the previous Abrams movie, I didn't feel like it was about very much. I thought it was incredibly entertaining and exciting, but maybe a little bit shallow. Not bad shot. Not like it's not like a you know this isn't Michael Bay. It's not mm-hmm. empty. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. something there. It's just not as much. You know, I had another thought when watching this movie today. I basically felt the same way, but maybe even one step more so. Like maybe it's even just a tiny bit more um, about the action and the set pieces and a little bit less theme than the previous one. For example, the previous movie, that opening sequence. In the previous film, was very uh, emotional. When Kirk is born and his father dies and that ship is mm-hmm. destroyed, that's incredibly emotional. I don't think they ever topped the opening in the previous movie. I don't think they topped that opening, and I don't think anything in this movie lives up to the opening of the previous film. No, I would agree because it has so much character and heart and emotion, and it. I still feel it. Um, so. It sounds well, like there was, what you're well, saying is, if this movie is about something, it's not about enough for us. What you were saying about the opening of that sequence, so there was um, there was consequence. You know, George Kirk sacrificed himself. Mm-hmm. So there was, um, yeah, that led us all to this where we're at right now. Do you guys feel like it's? So we've kind of talked about some things that we think it's about. Um, you know, it's a feature. It's going to not be as about as much, and they're going to try and um, make it actiony, and and especially nowadays to be a big get all the butts in the seats. I, I understand that. Um, do you feel like it's? Well, it sounds like we're all just kind of agreeing on that. That maybe it's not about very much, or it's not, or that they don't take enough time to try and discuss things. But in that sense, it's exactly what I expected. It's no less thematic than I expected. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, see, it also makes me, I mean, you know, you can have all the action you want and still have um, um, character. I mean, you know, we saw it in the Batman series, character development, and you have all the crazy action and stuff like that. Um, so, real quick, I was going to, just wanted to say this real quick. Um, when I heard about J.J. Abrams moving on to Star Trek, I was really upset. Was Star like, Wars. I mean, Star Wars, my bad. Yeah. Um, but now I'm not so upset anymore. Like maybe it does need, um, even if it's part of his own team, maybe it just needs a, a, a fresh face to kind of progress this, this cast, this storyline a little Star further. Trek, you mean? Yeah, Star Trek. Well, I'm sure Abrams is still going to be a producer. But that leads us to our final, final question. <laughs> final, final. As you guys have asked a couple of times, where do they go from here? Where do they go from here? Like a tray. What would you want out of a next movie? What let's say the next one is the last one. What what did, is there anything you feel that they haven't given us that you would want? You know, I haven't really thought about it because for me, both of these films, what they have felt like is just a uh, they felt like fast-paced summer blockbusters. Um, mm-hmm. That's exactly what they felt like. Um, you know, where, like you said, they just want to get as many people in the seat. So, for a third one, as, as far as closure, I would, I would hope for something, well, like Adam was saying, something similar to uh, what Nolan did with, with his Batman trilogy, where you 
you do build more character. So I actually care about them, and I'm not putting on the movies just as as background. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or when I'm writing a paper, or you know, or something, or cleaning the house, or whatever, I'd, I'd like to be drawn into them. And yeah, and I think we all can agree that he they have the cast to do it. They have talented actors who could do more. Yeah, acting and do more character. That's it's not. We're I'm not. I'm not bashing any. Um, you know, any of these guys here that saying they didn't do a good acting job. I thought the the acting, the acting was the, fine to good. They just didn't have a lot to do. Right, but I mean, you know, they they are beyond acting. They're their energy as the characters. That's you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is Kirk. I feel like this is McCoy, and it's not. You know, so in that that respect, they've done a really good job. Um, and I feel like they could do more with that, and they just haven't taken advantage of it. Steve, you know? what do you want out of a final film? Assuming there's one more. Well, yeah, I would. I would like. Um, I would like something uh, a, a, a more dramatic story. Doesn't need to be so constantly adrenaline rush paced. Um, you know, and real consequences. You know, something interesting happens that's that's new and different. Um, I just fear that that's likely not what we're gonna see. You know, they're gonna they're gonna try to do get as many people um, to come see it, so they're gonna just just push the boundaries more on the action stuff. And like I said, for what it is, it's good. But um, you know, those those other elements are lacking. It does kind of make me wonder. <laughs> does this mean like it, it used to be that when they made Star Trek movies, they had low they had small budgets? Because Paramount knew they were going to get X number of people to come see it no matter what. So as long as you can make them, we can make the movie for $40 million, we know we're going to get in. The Star Trek fanatics are going to come see it. We'll make 60 total. We'll, we'll come out ahead, 20, 20 million, and we're good. You know, um, So we kept getting them regularly because they were able to make the movie so cheap. And they knew they had a guaranteed certain amount return on their investment. Seeing these movies kind of makes me think, how do they ever go back to making smaller movies again? <laughs> yeah. If they make another one and it's even bigger and then it doesn't do the kind of business they want, does that kill the film franchise forever? I don't know. I don't you know. know. I wanted to end on... Uh, uh, who's about to say something? No, go ahead. Okay. Uh, one other uh, listener wrote in his thoughts, and he loved the movie so much, I wanted to read his uh, post here. Matthew Garcia commented on our uh, Facebook listener page, facebook.com slash Trek Companion. I saw the new Star Trek film tonight, and it was completely amazing. I'm going to see it again tomorrow. I can't wait to hear what you all have to say about it. I honestly think it is the best Star Trek film and perhaps best movie of all time that I have ever seen. There are so many details in the movie that harken back to the older movies in such an emotional and touching way. It was a blast. I couldn't be more satisfied with the work J.J. has done. It honors past Trek, rejuvenates the franchise, and presents a smart story that is entertaining and action packed thanks for writing in matthew um you know i i have to say when i see star trek movies my expectations are always going to be so incredibly high because i love movies and i love star trek and when a star trek movie comes out that's as excited as i ever get about anything (laughs) um let me tell you um and the fact that 
I was more satisfied watching. Even, I think the previous Abrams, Abrams picture is a better movie, but I found myself a lot more uh, satisfied after watching this one because it wasn't as stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So I, it, is, it is a good movie. It is. It's a good movie. I'm using the word good. This is a good movie. We have a couple of bad movies. This is not a bad movie. This is a good movie. I enjoyed watching it. I'm going to take a little break from it now, and I will enjoy <laughs> watching it again in the future. I'm glad we have it. I'm super glad that we got to experience, even if we never do again, uh, Star Trek production value, top, top of the line. Because now I, I know we'll what get, that's like. I think we'll get at least one more ride, Brian. I think you're probably right. Um, so I'm glad we got this movie, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm so glad for what Abrams Trek movies have done for the franchise. Well, see, here, this would be a nice payoff if they want to be able to, you know, if, if it's they have to do the movies like this to to pile in some cash. What I would, what I would ultimately like to see, and then put something back on the television screen that you know you can get your that we can get our 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 fix, and then you know every two or three years you have to like make this roller coaster Star Trek film to make a ton of money. Then that would be a nice payoff for me. You know, that, I I would be able to handle that. Go go. I'll, I'd even go and probably like you, Brian. Go watch the um, the action jolt every every couple of years for sure. But um, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see a television show back on. It's been it's been yeah. what close to ten years now since what Enterprise went off. Yeah, almost like yeah, seven or eight. Well, two thousand five, right? This two thousand thirteen. Um, hopefully, we'll, we will get a third film though uh, in three years instead of four. That way we have something for the 50th anniversary. I said that many times. I hope that's what happens. You guys have any final thoughts about the picture? It's a fun ride. I look forward to seeing it again. <laughs> I'm good. I think I said everything I need to say. <laughs> All right. Then, believe it or not, I do have... Six degrees for Into Darkness. <laughs> Just one quick Great. question each. One quick question each. Uh, Adam. Yes. Peter Weller plays Admiral Marcus, the admiral that thinks uh, war with the Klingons is a good idea. In the Enterprises, in, in Enterprises fourth season, he played John Paxton. Paxton led the group Terra Prime. Terra Prime was a radical and violent group that promoted what policy? Uh, what policy? Um, was it like only humans only? Yeah, they wanted all non-humans to be expelled from Earth. That's right. Xenophobes or whatever. That's Xenophobes, that's right. Xenophobes. Uh, Adam's got one. All right, uh, Steve. Yeah. Scott Lawrence plays the Vengeance Bridge Officer that informs Admiral Marcus that Khan and Kirk have forced their way onto the ship. Uh, in Voyager's seventh season, he played the Nigerian Captain Garon. Garon and his ship team up with Voyager to escape an enclosed space with neither stars nor planets. Name uh, this area of space, which is also the name of the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gosh. Is it the void? You are correct. It was the void. Finally, Trey. Mm-hmm. Jace, uh, Jason Matthew Smith reprises his role as the burly Enterprise security officer from the previous Star Trek film. The Star Trek ongoing comic series recently featured him. They had an entire issue. His name is Hendorf in the issue. And in the uh, Into Darkness, Kirk actually references references him as Hendorf. But in the end credits, he's still credited with the nickname that Kirk gave him in the last movie during the bar fight scene with uh, Uhura near the beginning. What's the burly guy's nickname? What did Kirk call him? And what's uh, his credit at the end of the movie? 
Oh man. I I honestly don't remember. Uh who's who should I give it to? Um Steve or Adam? Either of you guys uh, know it? I do not know it. Steve? Um uh, red shirt? No. Cupcake. 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 <laughs> it actually says cupcake in the end credits, but in the first movie he says, calm down, cupcake, or something like that. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. This has been this has been fun. I'm really I'm glad we got the chance to talk about the movie. Like I said, <laughs> it's exciting since this is the first time there's actually been new Star Trek since we started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. As I mentioned, our uh, Facebook listener pages facebook.com slash trek companion send us an email uh trek companion at gmail.com we are going to be back in one week um i believe we're talking about q who which is going to be fun so i hope you guys have enjoyed uh this special episode of trek companion as much as we enjoyed recording it so until next time thank you again trey Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, And we'll catch the rest of you guys in one week. Thanks again. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.